Hello and welcome to the Sound on Sound podcast about electronic music and all things synth. I'm Cara C and in this episode I'm talking to Hazel Mills. Hazel is a Bristol-born musician and songwriter who has toured the globe playing keys, her voice and electronics for artists including Florence and the Machine, Dave Roundtree from Blur, Goldfrapp, the Will Gregory Moog Ensemble and many more. Her classical background, pop sensibilities and passion for 1960s American minimalism and analogue synths feed into her performance and her writing. Alongside touring commitments, Hazel's currently on the road playing keys for Christine in the Queens. Hazel is working on new solo material and also works with UDO, a Bristol-based electronic music instrument company. More on this shortly. So here's a taste of Hazel's own music to get us started. This extract is from the title track from her latest EP, The Embrace. Scream like a mammal. It's you and me. Hello, Hazel, and welcome to the Sound on Sound podcast. Hello. Brilliant. Lovely to speak to you today and excited to unpack uh, many of your musical activities. I'd like to start with your, what I'm going to call keyboardist role, um, working with the likes of Goldfrapp and Florence the Machine. So what gear does that involve and also what is your role in that work? Yeah, so it, it can vary depending on whether it's more of a a synth kind of bass role or whether it's very heavily laptop led which quite a few of those um jobs I've done are actually kind of within within a laptop often using main stage as software and then I would use uh, a midi controller going into that um and my kind of not my job but something I'm quite keen to do is is to make sure that that can be as expressive as possible given that it's a lot of it is kind of samples coming out of a laptop so just making sure that uh, whatever controller I'm using has some way of manipulating the sound in real time so it, it is an expression and it is a, a performance and obviously when when I'm using synths or actually in the case of Florence I also used a, a Hammond organ then obviously you can be quite immediately very expressive with uh, things like you know uh, opening and closing the filter or whatever modulation and with the organ things like um, playing around with different draw bars so yeah that that's generally the overall gear setup and so which midi controllers are you moving towards at the moment so I've tended to use for quite a few years now live the Arturia the 88 key key lab and you know what I did quite a lot of searching before I got to that it took me a while to find a full-sized keyboard controller that also had all the other extra bits that I wanted (laughs) so like pads and faders and knobs and things like that because a lot of what I do does isn't just the playing but it is uh, the manipulating and the sample triggering as well and it's got great feel as well so that's the one I've tended to use. I have also tried 
very briefly tried the um, Native Instruments one, which I really liked the feel of, but I haven't actually ever used that live. So does the music tend to be pre-composed for you and you're performing it, or is there an element where you're involved in the composition? Um, not so, so for those jobs, not so much involved in the composition, but definitely um, have had a creative role in the arrangement, the live arrangement and the interpretation of those songs and pieces. I have had jobs in the past where I have been involved in, in composition, but not in um, those examples that we've talked about. But yeah, it can be quite an interesting process, kind of dissecting the songs that already exist and figuring out what is going to be the most effective way of uh, portraying this live and and sort of picking out particular parts and sort of who's going to play them, what instrument are they going to go on, and also how am I going to create or source those sounds for those particular parts. Uh, it's quite a big part of the process before we even get to the rehearsal stage. Yeah, so sometimes it's up to you to source those sounds. Yeah, it often is actually in, in most cases, that, and it would either be that you can kind of cleverly sample stems from the original the original record or often I would just kind of replicate them using either software or if I've actually got the instrument that they may have used so for example with um one of the gold frap uh, felt mountain tracks because we last year we did the the felt mountain um anniversary tour one of the parts was on done on an MS-20 and um, we had access to an MS-20 so I thought okay I'll just sample the instrument and turn that into a virtual instrument so it's still the instrument itself but um, obviously just having gone through the, the virtual motions and sampling it in a way that it's still manipulatable yeah yeah that surprises me I suppose I'd imagine you'd get all the kind of stems samples one shots loops whatever it is from the studio that's recorded it and then you would work with those but I guess it's kind of that can be a bit more fixed can't it and harder to well that often is the case and, and maybe the majority of the time that is that is the case that you we, we do get hold of the stems from I don't know who I don't know the route that it goes through through the the person who mixed it and then whoever it goes to after that but yeah that is that is quite a common way to do it so kind of looking at and like you say having one shot samples so it's not just about turning it into musical instruments but there might be some very specific long kind of samples uh, or atmospheric sounds that are quite integral to the to the music so we would then take those exact samples from the stems and work them in some way whether it's one shot or um on playback you know or um in in a kind of more flexible way yeah wow and I guess there's a whole process as well like you say even before you get in a rehearsal room together but then also once you do there must be a whole collaborative depending on the extent of it kind of process where you're then devising the show based on the recording yeah to an extent based on the recording but I think there's there's a kind of unspoken understanding in the once you get into the room together that this is something new and it's a it's a different experience the live one it, we are bringing the recordings to life and it's you know if you get too bogged down with trying to replicate the record then 
it can kind of lose its magic. And if you allow something to take on its own new life, that can be really quite special. And so, you know, there there is that point in the rehearsal where there's lots and lots of tweaking going on because maybe that, you know, something that sounded great on the record, it doesn't quite work in the same way in the live setting. So we, we might tweak either the part or the sound or, or whatever. Um, and that's all part of the process as well. Yeah, letting a new version, if you like, or a new new life of it evolve. Yeah, exactly. Wonderful. And have you been in any um, memorable, beautiful rehearsal situations or environments? Oh, that's a good question. I'm imagining something like whether it's air studios or I don't know somewhere lovely. Well, no, because my first thought went to a rehearsal we had in a garage, um, so not <laughs> at all. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the atmosphere, really, and the vibe. And mm. in particular, when um, I was rehearsing with Goldfrap for the Felt Mountain tour, the first time it was supposed to happen, <laughs> which was in which was a spring 2020, you know, leading up to that whole point, we had such a lovely time. There was such a connection in the room, and it was really quite laid back. And yeah, we were kind of hacking into the arrangements and doing the work that needed doing and trying different things out but it was um it felt like a bunch of friends hanging out in a lovely space together you know being really creative and and having a great time so that's kind of what comes to mind when you say that nothing nothing glamorous at all (laughs) yeah and is it tend to be like the whole team if you like including management and sort of consultants if you like or are you kind of left to your own creative and technical devices I think it starts smaller and this tends to be how it it seems to pan out for a lot of uh, jobs where it sort of starts with fewer people and gradually builds up and when you're more and more ready to play a show then they get label and management and and things in a a later date to hear what's going on um so you get that early stage with you know and sometimes actually before we start rehearsals I might also have a couple of sessions with the musical director um this happened quite a bit for the the Florence tour that I did where um Alex Lee and I kind of got together a few times He, he was the musical director um and he's actually based in Bristol as well which is where I'm based and we would kind of look at some of those arrangements together so it it does sort of start small and and get more and more people (laughs) gradually get involved Um, and then you get to the production rehearsals if it's a quite a big tour and then you've got an enormous crew (laughs) yeah because then in comes the lighting the visuals costumes all that kind of thing yeah exactly Yeah. yeah wonderful yeah, so you must have quite a selection of synths at hand. And are they ever loaned to you or is it down to you to find them or does someone provide them for you for different shows? It's a combination, really. Yeah, it can be that I use uh, a synth that might already kind of belong to the artist or the project and there's a very specific way that it's used. Um, but I do have my own synths as well. I mean, with things like uh, laptops and MIDI controllers, it tends to be that that's kind of provided, depending on the bo- the budget, really. But with a lot of synths that I've used live, tends to be my own, actually, uh, whether that's um, my Prophet 6, my Sequential Circuits Prophet 6, which is my my beloved, 
um, or the the Moog Sub 37 I've used quite a bit live, um, and the the Dave Smith Mofo X4 I've also used on a cu- couple of occasions. I'm sure there's there's more, but um, yeah, it's kind of a combination really. So how did you come to this path? How did you become a synth nerd passionista? Yeah, it's interesting because I came quite late into it and uh, into synths specifically weirdly quite late even though I was I think unconsciously from a young age really loved the sounds of of certain um certain electronic sounds whether it was synths or um found sound used in a lot of the pop music that I really loved growing up and initially I was classically trained and played the piano from a young age and sang in choirs and things like that but then gradually started picking up a love of pop music and then when I was about 19 I think I discovered music concrete for the first time and that completely changed my world <laughs> it was it just blew me away I, I kind of was learning about um you know the concrete movement in France with uh, Pierre Schaefer and Henri but also then um off the back of that the BBC Radiophonic Workshop and just kind of learning about how they would source sounds and manipulate them on tape and I just had to kind of have a go in my own way. I wasn't able to use tape so I didn't ever do it with tape but I just immediately started having a go using um, Ableton Live and just started going around and recording different sounds. I think I had a like um, a portable mini disc player that I'd borrowed that you could plug a little mic into um and I could never get it to I didn't really understand (laughs) technology at that point so I could never really get it to sound amazing and I think the the gain staging was a little bit wonky on my end so there was always a lot of hiss Um, but I would just kind of go around and record random sounds and then chuck them into Ableton Um, And I did that a lot with my voice as well. I loved kind of just sampling vocal notes and turning them into instruments. But in terms of synths, I think it probably wasn't until I really discovered or was more aware of um, people like John Carpenter um, and his film scores, because it was then that, although I'd already heard a lot of synth music, I realised that ah, okay, synths can have, they can sound broken and they can have imperfections. And I really liked that. I was really drawn to the kind of the personality that was coming through. It didn't have to sound pristine and sterile. Um, and I don't know why I had that in my mind, that that it was like that. I don't really know. But, you know, in hearing those slightly wonky synth sounds, quite primitive sounding that's what drew me in and then I started you know didn't kind of look back from there really and it's interesting because I really growing up I I know that I loved those sounds and for some reason I never questioned where they came from and I I think the only thing I can think of is that I just loved the otherworldliness of those sounds and the fact that I didn't know where they came from I think I wanted to keep that mystery intact a bit maybe that's my justification for it anyway <laughs> and that there is something about that not kind of listening to us I mean I still do it now I might listen to something I wrote a few years ago and and hear a sound and have no idea what it 
where it came from because I don't remember whether it's a sample or a synth or a combination of both and and not really wanting to know either because <laughs> it, it is what it is you know yeah I think that's what I love about it with electronic sound is that it does does therefore become its own language it it, it touches those emotional notes or whatever it is that you're wanting those tones and colors you're wanting to express whilst without getting the left brain involved with, oh, there's a violin or there's a particular instrument. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, the beauty of the technology at our fingertips these days. Yeah. So I wonder if Sound on Sound has helped you along your um, synth-exploring way at all. Yeah, do you know what? It has, because actually when I was first learning about synthesis, um, although the synths that I were using had quite an impact on that, on the learning process... One of them was the the Roland SH-101, which is a really great one to learn on. I did actually refer to, I don't know how old it is, but there's a series, a synth, synth Secrets series on Sound on Sound that kind of go through the process, the, the learnings of what synthesis is and, and helping to sort of design various specific sounds. And I did find that really useful, actually. And more recently, I've I've been really enjoying this podcast, funnily enough. <laughs> I've listened to a few episodes and I've recently listened to the Richard Barbieri one. And I think did, I think you did one with um, public service broadcasting. That was quite a yes, good one. Yes, that's right. So yeah, yep. more recently, the podcast has been really great. But yeah, definitely Sound on Sound has been a really great reference for me over the years I think for us non-academic types it's really nice because you can dip into that level of learning without you know being part of a academic commitment if you like can't you yeah because so much of what we learn can be self-taught or community taught but it's nice to actually have something to refer to oh definitely I I'm I think that that suits me because I'm I've not really been much of a self taught person in the past I kind of I like the <laughs> I like structure in learning and um it's just, you know that's just part of my personality and so something like that for me is is really helpful just wanna So I'm guessing also with the Gregory Mog Ensemble, you're also taking along your synths, including to Australia recently. So tell us a bit about that work. Yeah, we did take our synths all the way to Australia. Yeah, that's been great. I've been involved with the World Gregory Mog Ensemble for just over 10 years now, which is crazy to think. But I, I guess it's because we kind of, we don't gig very often. It's kind of um, a very special, not very frequent thing that happens. So when it does, it's it's very nice. But yeah, so we recently went to Australia. We were invited by the Australian Chamber Orchestra um, to join them for a tour. It was called A Clockwork Orange and Beyond. And so the repertoire was various synth-led uh, film scores. So quite classic film scores like clockwork orange um but also blade runner oh what else did we have there's some more modern ones like actually interstellar was in there as well um but we also did a couple of uh bbc radiophonic workshop numbers as well we did the doctor who theme and we also did one of my favorites which is uh, blue veils and golden sands wow lush so how did you recreate blue veils and golden sands because i know that um 
Delia Derbyshire talked about how um, well, she used her favourite tatty green lampshade to get the kind of heat haze sound, but then beyond that she described manipulating her voice into a castrated oboe. So how did you recreate that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it was an interesting one for me because I love to, to make sounds like that, but our palette was synthesizers, and so we kind of went through the process of recreating the app the same atmosphere and trying to get the same feeling with analog synths and so it was arranged by one of our ensemble members Simon Harum and he arranged it gave us the parts and we basically worked together in the room on the sounds and and that that tends to happen quite a lot actually with the Moog ensemble it's not just about okay we've got parts to learn but we kind of really spend time in the room getting the sounds right uh even if it's a matter of we each take it in turns and we tweak and we suggest things to each other and then we also work on dynamics quite a lot as well but so for that one I had the part of the kind of I'm guessing it's that vocally sample that you mentioned because it does sound it does have quite a vocal quality that kind of insistent semitone <laughs> thing going on and I used my Prophet 6 for it and I kind of the way that I got that quality was turning the resonance up always helps if you want a kind of vocal quality but as I swelled the the filter up and down I would flick the pitch wheel to give almost that kind of um grace note quality that you might get with a vocal and it was it was really haunt and put loads of delay on it as well and it was very haunting um but yeah, so we each had our kind of role to play in in trying to perhaps not just recreating the sound, recreating it sonically, but recreating the feeling that it yeah. gave as well. The mood. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wonderful. There must be a lot of, um, it's almost like detective work, isn't it, in what you do? And, and do you enjoy that whole kind of trying to unpick, deconstruct how is this sound made and how could I rebuild it with your own mark, if you like? I do. It's not just playing the instrument, but part of it is exploring the sound for me. Um, it's yeah, it's such a big part of writing, performing. It's all you're you're so um, connected with the sound, and if you can be at that point where you can always, in some way, manipulate it, then then you're in the moment and you're kind of doing it in real time, and that to me is quite important. And how was it playing with an orchestra at the same time, a chamber orchestra? Oh, it was amazing. It was actually quite um, an unusual experience because it wasn't like your standard orchestra. Um, they they have quite a different vibe. There's something slightly, I hate to use this term, but I think it's the only way, that, slightly rock and roll about them. It's the only way that I can describe that, you know, they all stand up. None of them sit there, oh, except for um, the cellists and the double bass players, because they have to. And the the person who's the director doesn't stand uh, at the front to conduct. He's actually one of the violin players and he's within. So everyone's kind of within it together. Um, and there was just something really lovely about that experience of us all kind of being being in it together. Because we've, we've played with orchestras before and we did... Um, back in I think it was 21 we played with the National Orchestra of Wales the BBC uh, National Orchestra of Wales 
and it was a very different experience we had it was it was a much more kind of as you would expect an enormous orchestra with a conductor at the beginning yeah and that was pretty epic but the two very different experiences both epic in their own way but yeah this was really really fun Brilliant. Let's move on to your solo EP, which you released earlier this year. Tell us about that and how it, you know, how it was produced, what gear you love to use, if there's any kind of themes there at all. So this was kind of like a bit of a, a symbol for me to let go of a few things and let some music out into the world and move on to the next thing. So some of these songs have been sitting with me for a few years um, and two of them are much more recent and maybe more representative of of me actually moving forward. Yeah, so there's quite um, a varied approach going on in terms of how I how I came to realise each of the songs. So uh, one of them was just me sitting at a synth, actually a piano initially, and coming up with some ideas, and it kind of grew from there. And Actually, I didn't officially demo it at all for quite a long time. So I was writing and developing the song without recording it in any way. Maybe I did a rough recording on my phone, but I didn't, I deliberately didn't demo it until it felt a bit more accomplished. And that was um, the title track, which is The Embrace. Um, And for quite a long time, it was just me sitting at my Prophet (laughs) 6, playing the whole thing, you know, and all the counter melodies and everything. That was all just one part. And then all the kind of production elements were built up from there. So that would be, um, I used a bit of Ableton kind of drum rack situation, but also my MPC Live I would use for a lot of the sort of found sound stuff, whether it was textural kind of sounds, often rhythmic and beats, which I made with a lot of kind of organic materials like wood and metal and water and things like that um and that's actually a theme in a way that runs through the ep that kind of connects all the songs together and that's my connection to the natural cycles of the world and our relationship or the relationship between technology and nature um that's something that i'm kind of thinking about a lot a lot at the moment so in you'll hear in the lyrics that there's a lot of reference to to nature and elements and things as well and so that sort of is kind of brought in sonically um, through the sounds that I use Um, but also actually with some of the other songs like the first track which is called Enclosure that actually did start in the box and I that was kind of an experiment it wasn't me sitting down with an instrument and writing a song it was experimenting with a sound and some probability and seeing where I went from there. So I think it was like a plucked hairband that I started with the sound of, and that became the main sort of bass sound for the song that runs throughout most of it. And I threw that into Ableton and used the Max 
for live probability plugin to kind of vary it and just see what results I could get out of it, which was quite fun to do. And there's lots of lush kind of, dare I say, 80s kind of layered vocals going on there as well. What kind of influences are going on there? Yeah, I think the, I'm, I just love, I do love layering vocals and I love harmonies. And a lot of that does interestingly come from a love of kind of 80s electro pop and things. But also, I guess from singing in choirs at a young age. But I do really love things like... Neil Young and Crosby, Stills and Nash and the kind of four-part harmony that they use in their music, which although is stylistically completely unrelated to what I do, arguably, um, I do love what they do, the way that they layer vocals and have them interacting. Um, and I've always, I've always been into that. So yeah, that's, that's definitely always going to have some kind of part in what I do. And actually you use your voice a lot in the session work as well don't you in the live session work I do yeah I think um it feels good when I can combine both of them I do really enjoy it when I've got a job where I'm both singing and playing because it it feels complete in a way (laughs) I mean I don't mind if I'm doing one or the other that's fine um but there's something really satisfying about doing both in in the live setting but yeah just in generally in the kind of creative world to have that much wider a palette so it's not just I'm not just playing instruments but I'm using my voice as an instrument as well um in maybe in a less conventional way as well as a more conventional way in that I like to sing pop songs too and do you have a kind of favorite signal chain that you like to put on your voice or do you like it to be quite raw if you like well um that's a good question so I don't re- haven't really nerded out a lot in terms of um, hardware for vocal chains. I'm just starting to look into that now, actually. But I I tend to use um, Universal Audio, so I've got um, an Apollo that I use, and they're they're kind of models of various vocal preamps I think are really good and to be honest because I'm not I'm not an engineer it's not something that I do in isolation as a job it sort of comes with what I do I don't like to think about that too much when I'm kind of in the creative headspace so if if I can use something that means I can just trust that it's going to sound really good and I don't have to think about it then that's kind of the route that I would take and that there are a lot of options there with the the UAD stuff which is good yeah and you must enjoy the kind of working together to create something that is bigger than the sum of its parts yeah that's it really isn't it do you know what that that for me just sums up music in general especially the way that you work I would say you know in terms of all that intimate collaboration both with instruments on the fly or as quickly or slowly that you get to do that but also with people yeah and I think when you when you kind of succumb to you know let go and allow other people to bring in their ideas you 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 very quickly realize that they're going to bring something into the mix that you're not because they're somebody else and they've they've experienced the world differently and they see things differently and there's something so magical about that that you just can't get on your own if you stay in a little box and try and do everything yourself. I mean, it's very commendable. It's it's great, and you, it's great if you can do that. But also, I think opening up to 
allowing uh, different interactions and relationships is is where you start to get quite unique experiences and sounds and just magic, basically. Lovely. Finally, I'd like to ask you about your work with UDO. I've seen some of your kind of tutorial videos that you're doing. Um, what's going on there? <laughs> yeah, so um, I've just been, I've been collaborating with them to, um, oh, it's been a real pleasure actually, because I get to play, play with their instruments and uh, make a video about it, which I'm actually really enjoying doing um, because it's just basically getting to explore an instrument and then sharing that with the world, which has been really, really fun to do. Um, and actually also a really good excuse to delve a little bit further into the digital world than I have before, because I have tended to gravitate more towards analogue and the kind of um, this, the imperfections that they can give, like I mentioned before. And it took me a little while to understand what the digital world had to offer. Um, and then I started getting into the Super 6, which is uh, UDO's kind of uh, most well-known instrument. Yeah, and it's sort of opened up another world for me, which is really fun. Um, yeah, I'm really enjoying that. And I'm, I'm actually about to... So they've got a new instrument called the Super Gemini, which is basically... It came about, so George, the guy who designs them, um, the man of UDO, he uh, was having a bit of a jam with his Super 6 and the Super 6 desk, desktop version, which is the Super 6 without the keyboard, essentially. And having fun doing all these different arrangements with two different um, keyboards. And he just thought, I would like to be able to do all this with one synth, please. So he made it happen. <laughs> um, and he designed a synth that was basically there so that you can be really expressive and have a, um, a live experience. And it's got a ribbon controller on it as well. Um, it's got all kinds of possibilities in terms of layering, because it's multi-tombral, um, layering and splitting different sounds and the intricacies that you can get out of those has been really fun to explore um, and the instrument isn't out yet but I do actually have a, I'm lucky enough to have a beta version of it currently just to explore while they're still working on it and I'm um, working on a, a video for that very soon. So is this hardware, software and is it all synths? It's hardware, it's a digital analogue hybrid in the same way that the Super 6 is, it's just more epic version of that, basically. Yeah, it's it's a hardware synth. Fantastic. Okay, um, so where next, Hazel Mills? What's coming up? Any exciting projects you'd like to share? Yeah, so I'm currently working on an album with artist Kate Brooks, who's uh, released quite a lot of material on labels like Ghostbox and Claypipe. This is a project that came about during one of the, the lockdowns virtually. We kind of found each other online and it sparked this amazing relationship. And um, we've been writing remotely ever since. And it's been a really amazing, quite rewarding experience. So we've got, yeah, we've got something going on there, which um, hopefully will surface very soon. Beyond that, I'm working on a, a solo album as well and this alongside all the usual kind of live work I've got a couple of um, live jobs coming up this summer 
and beyond. Wonderful. Cool. Well, all the best and may your collaborative adventures in music continue. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening and be sure to check out the show notes for further information as well as links and details of other episodes in the Electronic Music series. And just before you go, let me point you to soundonsound.com forward slash podcasts so you can check out what's on our other channels. This has been a Caro C production for Sound on Sound. Thank you.